0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We're continuing our series today, The Church, with a message titled, More Means of Grace. So let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, as we join Dr. Newfeld now.
1: How many of you have ever heard of one of those infomercials, you know, where they're telling you of everything you can get for six easy monthly payments? And by the way, you really shouldn't buy anything that way. I mean, don't buy on credit what you don't absolutely need, a necessity. But nonetheless, those infomercials, I mean, they tell you a great deal that you're getting. And then at the close of the commercial, the announcer says, but wait, there's more. You also get for no extra price, and then he tells you, you know, some other worthless tchotchke that you can also have. Oh my, how could you pass by on that? Now today, I, I feel like one of those infomercial announcers. You know, I've been in this short series about the church, been talking about the unique means of grace that God in his infinite wisdom has determined to hand out only through the means of grace of the church. I've mentioned the grace that comes from hearing preaching from worship and from fellowship. And now I want to say, but wait, there's more. But indeed, there really is more. Let's talk about some of the other means of grace that come only through the church. Here's one, baptism. I've already spoken about the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is the means of grace that speaks to the ongoing walk of the believer. We're constantly to remember and revel in the grace of Christ body and his blood, given for us for the remission of our sins. We're constantly brought back to the table and where we are reminded that our ongoing walk in Christ flows out of his substitutionary sacrifice for us. So the Lord's Supper is the ordinance that speaks to the ongoing daily life of the believer. But baptism speaks of the beginning of the new life of the believer. It's the entrance point. Baptism is the visible demonstration of our conversion. And why is that so important? Let me suggest at least two reasons. The first one comes from Matthew 10:32 to 33. And there Jesus says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. You see, baptism is an ordinance of the church, and it invites the new convert to publicly testify to their faith. When baptism happens, it takes the privacy of the new birth and it displays it openly before the watching world, but it also announces it before the world of angels and demons. It's a public declaration that our lives are no longer our own, but we belong to Christ. The second reason for baptism, is because it publicly symbolizes a unique inner transformation that has occurred. Romans 6, 3-4, do you not know? that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You know, the symbolism of immersion is not so easily to be dismissed as mere symbolism. Putting someone under the water is a symbol of laying them in their grave. The one being baptized is saying that his or her old life lived in sin and as an enemy of God is now put to death, it's buried, and it will never be raised again. But of course, even though baptism is a symbol of death and burial, it's also a symbol of the resurrection of a new self created to live for Christ. It repeats what Paul said in Galatians 2.20, that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Similar words are used in Colossians 2.12, which says we were buried with him in baptism and raised with him through faith. And those are the truths of baptism, which need to be explained, not just to the person being baptized, but to the entire church every time a baptism occurs. In a sense, baptism celebrates that the one being baptized passes through the waters of judgment, and then in the process, their sins have been washed away. And you might remember, as Paul is, you know, describing his conversion experience and his baptism in Acts 22, verse 16, he says, Ananias told Saul, rise and be baptized and wash away your sins. You know, this baptism is a symbol of cleansing, of washing away the stain of all of our sins. We've come out of the water, having been cleansed of everything that once defiled us. So is baptism important? Well, some think it's not. They think It's optional. But Jesus, when giving his great commission, commanded his apostles to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And in our baptism, we're claiming the name of our triune God and saying it over the new believer. So is that important? Of course, it's vital. It's obedience to Jesus who commands us to be baptized. You know, it's our first glad declaration, both to the world and to the unseen realm that Christ has claimed us. Our lives are no longer our own. We've gone public. See, all over the world, there are people who claim to have received Jesus, but it's when we're baptized that we actually go public. It's as if the deal is officially sealed. You know, sometimes all manner of questions are you know, raised regarding baptism. How old should a child be who's raised in a Christian home, let's say, before they're baptized? And I offer no answer here, only to say that we ought to be old enough so that the profession of faith we make clearly demonstrates that we understand the gospel as well as that we are not doing this to please our parents, but rather that we're willing to forsake all and follow Christ. But is it absolutely necessary to be baptized? Well, let's reiterate, it's a command of Jesus. How could it be if upon coming to faith in Christ, our first response to our new walk in Christ would be to say no to his very first command. I put it like this. You know, if you fall off a a tall skyscraper, and on the way down you confess your sins and call out to Jesus, then when you're killed on the bottom, you're going to go to heaven. But if it should be that you should survive the fall, you're going to go to your baptism. Simple as that. But is baptism really an ordinance of the church? Can't we just do it with a few friends? So let these words sink in baptism is not only a sign of our new life in christ it's also a sign of belonging to the people of god first corinthians 12:13. for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body jews are greeks slaves are free and all were made to drink of one spirit see our baptism it's a symbol that not only do we belong to christ but we also belong to his people the church and it's for that reason and it's within keeping with the New Testament teaching that baptism is to be performed in the context of the church wherever that's possible. Now, having said all of that, how is it that baptism is a means of grace? Well, the answer should be apparent. It transforms us so that we're now publicly identified with Christ. And for that reason, a great many churches encourage the person being baptized to invite many friends, as many as possible, to join into witnessing this event. This includes non-Christians. And that grace of baptism opens the door to effectively sharing of our faith. It makes evangelism and the living out of one's life publicly most natural. Baptism, a grace that Christ bestows through the local church. But wait, but wait, there's more. Let's discuss another aspect of grace that comes through the local church. It's the grace of giving. I know for some, this hardly seems like grace. I mean, they think about the, the time of the offering, and they don't like it. And for that reason, some churches have tried, you know, to make giving, let's shall we say, a little more discreet, the offerings at the back, not during the time of worship. And of course, you know, now that we give online in a number of different ways, that seems to work fine. My sense is that when we take it away from public worship, it's a mistake. And that's because we shouldn't think of giving as distinct from worship. But before we go there, let's back up and ask about the relationship of giving money to our spiritual walk. You know, one of my favorite passages in this regard comes from 2 Samuel chapter 24. By the way, that passage is repeated again in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. Well, because of David's sin, death was sweeping through Jerusalem. David goes very quickly to offer a sacrifice to God to get the plague to stop. He goes to a hill called the threshing floor that belonged to a man named Arawana the Jebusite. David approaches Arawana. He asks to buy his threshing floor to make an altar there. Arawana responds by telling David, look, you can just have it. He's freely giving it to the king for nothing. Go, he says, offer your sacrifice there and appease the anger of God and save people's lives. And whereas many people would have thought that was a really good deal, David doesn't. And then comes this telling line, and it's found in 2 Samuel 24 verse 24. But the king said to Aruana, "No, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, that cost me nothing." See, David thought it was wrong to come before God in worship and not find the act of worship expensive and costly. Psalm 96, verse eight, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, bring an offering and come before his courts. Well, this is it. Worship should be the most valuable thing we know. God reminds us of just that.
0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell from Back to the Bible Canada. We believe Bible teaching is critical for God's people and your support is critical in making the daily Bible teaching program with Dr. Newfeld available on this station. But we know there's times when you may miss the radio program, so we wanna remind you of all the opportunities available for free for your use and convenience. At backtothebible.ca, you can search through a library of messages and series, both audio and video with Dr. John, but also learn more about our ministry podcasts, YouTube channels, mobile applications, and print resources. Our desire is to serve you so that the Bible teaching you can trust is available to as many people in as many ways as possible. For more information or to support this Bible teaching ministry, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
1: So why is giving a blessing? Well, for one, Paul tells us in, you know, in Acts 20, verse 35, that Jesus taught that it was more blessed to give than to receive. But we also know that giving teaches us both who owns all things and the value of giving ourselves and our lives for the glory of God and the good of others. And for this reason, I think 2 Corinthians 8, verses 3 to 5 is an excellent verse for all believers to consider. Paul speaking about something extraordinary that had occurred among the Macedonian Christians. You know, Paul had been raising money to help the poor and disadvantaged Christians in Jerusalem, and the Macedonian Christians stepped up. Well, the only problem was these Christians didn't have that much themselves. And so Paul was concerned that they might be giving too much. Listen to how Paul describes this state of affairs. Here's what he says. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means— Of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. You know, it's in that first line, more than anything else, that ought to capture our attention. They gave themselves first, says Paul, to the Lord. That was their first priority. These believers were always presenting themselves to God. They always knew that everything they had was not their own. It belonged to God. And because of that knowledge, the giving of finances, that wasn't difficult at all. And then says Paul, second, after giving themselves to the Lord, they gave themselves to Paul as he was raising money for the poor in Jerusalem. And it's out of that kind of an attitude that 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6 makes sense the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And then several verses later in verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You know, there's a connection between giving of our finances and giving of ourselves to the work of the Lord. Let's put it into practical terms. Once in a while, I'm going to hear people that'll say that, you know, they want to give to missions, but they don't like giving to the budget of their local church. So let me ask you, did you attend your local church? And when you did, were the lights on? How about the sound system? Was the heating on? Were the washrooms in good working order? And the pastor, as he preached, was that workman worthy of his hire? And as we give to the budget of our local church, we're participating in making worship possible. We give ourselves to make worship happen. And then there are other items. You know, I've served in a church where we regularly received a second offering on the first Sunday of every month. And we called that one the benevolent offering. It was for the poor. And we bought groceries with that and we put it into the, the basement of the building and we stocked our shelves so that anyone who was needy could get help. We also had discretionary giving there as well. And then of course, you know, there is the cause of international missions. I remember raising money for printing Bibles for helping underground churches provide training for their pastors, for providing for people in war-ravaged countries. In short, faithful churches become models of what it means to live our lives the way Christ lived his. He did not come to serve himself. He came to give his life away and left to ourselves. Well, we wouldn't have all these opportunities, but the church is a means of grace that makes a priority of giving. Instead of constantly being consumers, ever looking to enrich our own lives, we become invested in enriching the lives of others. And so as we do, we find it really is more blessed to give than to receive. I remember hearing the story of a man who had come to faith, and now he had settled into you know my church. And for the first time in his life, he had learned that the gospel and the teachings of Jesus and the importance of the Bible, and he was baptized, he was all in. But before all of that, soon after his conversion, sitting in church, he watched for the first time the offering bag coming by. And as he watched, to his amazement, everyone in the row that he was sitting was putting money into the bag, and he wondered whether he should as well. He thought he'd be embarrassed if he didn't. And what makes this story especially fascinating is that this man was very well off. He was rich. He was lacking in nothing, but he'd also never given a thing. And I suppose before that, he would have been the kind of person who would have thought that you look after yourself and let others do the same. But there came the offering bag, and he took out his wallet, and then, with trembling hands, he did something he'd never done before. He took out $20. He let it fall into the bag. And then he described how he felt as the $20 just moved down the aisle, just like that. He hadn't bought a thing. It was gone. The $20 were gone. It would never come back. It seemed like a disaster. He said it felt like someone had sawn off his left arm. But that was just the beginning. The next Sunday, the same nightmare scenario got repeated. He now felt he was going to be robbed every week. And years later, as an extravagant and sacrificial giver, he chuckled about those early days. What pain it was then, and now what joy it was. This man, through his considerable means, had blessed not only his local church, but other worthy ministries as well. And he thought of his giving as something that had liberated him from a life of self-centeredness to now a life of joyous, sacrificial living in accordance to the commands of Christ. People that are committed to their local church give more than the rest of the population. Did you know that? They've learned how to live. So I've talked about the grace of baptism, the grace of financial giving, but wait, there's more. You know, from giving, we also learn to minister to the personal needs of others. You know, one thing that healthy church life teaches us is that we're constantly to attend to the needs of others. Philippians 2, verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So what happens when serving becomes a priority? It means that there is grace that's given to allow people to be ministers. Sometimes that simply takes the form of encouragement, or of exhorting others into faithfulness. Sometimes it comes in the form of wise counsel. Colossians 3.16 tells us to teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. James 5.20 tells us that we care enough about our brothers and sisters in Christ that we can turn them when they are sinning from the error of their ways. You know, as a brand new believer, I know several people who took the time to love me enough to show me my sinful tendencies. Listen to Hebrews 1024 to 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It really is quite amazing how the zeal of one person can have an impact on the zeal of another person. And it's not just that happens. It's that we are to look to make it happen. Stir up one another, says Hebrews. Talk about how we can give ourselves more out of zeal to Christ. Now, you and I know there are hundreds of ways of expressing zeal. You know, yesterday when I talked about fellowship, I noted the prevalence of loneliness in our society. Recently, I read an article about seniors and the incredible rise of a relatively new category. The article called it kinless seniors. That is, old people either living alone in their homes or in a nursing home of some sort who have no kin, no family, none at all. No kids, no spouse, no brothers and sisters. The family network has not failed. It's just never been there. person lives and dies alone. Consider when brothers and sisters stir each other on. You know how some feel it's their calling to visit shut-ins, the people who have no one else suddenly the person who had no family finds they do have a family, the spiritual family of the Lord, the local church. Listen to how Acts describes the experience of the early church, Acts 4.34. There was not a needy person among them. You know, I've been talking about the means of grace in the church. You know, through this week, I've spoken of preaching and worship and spiritual gifts, and today about baptism and giving and caring for each other's needs. But wait, there is more! You know, I could have been speaking about evangelism and more. Yeah, there is much more. I hope you see that God really has designed your life in Christ so that there is so much grace available only as you give yourself to the body of believers. Yeah, there's so much more. Let's remember that churches are often revived and refreshed as they stir up zeal in each other. More grace than we had ever imagined.
0: Thanks, John. Let me ask you, is it possible by not becoming an active member of the church body, we've missed out on many of the intended blessings in our walk with Jesus?
1: Yeah, there is something about uh, walking and living the Christian life and being in relationship to Christ, that the church is a necessity, not simply an add-on. I, you know I, I want to say you don't you can get more blessings. Well, you can, but the, the thing is, if you're lacking certain blessings, You're lacking the grace that you need to function as a believer. So let me say it as as plainly as I can. It is necessary for you to receive the ordinances of the church, the ordinance of baptism, the ordinance of the Lord's table. Those are necessary for the functioning of your spiritual life. You will fall from Christ. Now, here's something else I wanna add. Listen, there's a wonderful metaphor, and it's called that the church is the, the body of Christ. I mean, you separate from the body of Christ, you separate from Christ himself. So these things are very important for us to remember. I mean, I've been trying to make the case that, you know, and I wanna do it in the positive to say, these are the graces that come to our lives through the church and that Christ has so designed the church that it should be the means whereby grace comes to you. So individuals can't go to Christ and say, I don't want your grace. I mean, if that's the means that you've constructed, you know, count me out. I mean, this is not how a believer or a person who's submitted to Christ conducts themselves. If we yield to Christ, we yield to him in all things. If he's Lord,
0: he's Lord of all. Either that or we're just going our own way. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we conclude our series, The Church, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. You may think that estate planning is only for the wealthy, but decisions about your home, family, your retirement, or even how you'd like to see your money used for ministry and for the kingdom, well, that's important. Back to the Bible Canada has partnered with Advisors with Purpose to help you start and discuss those important decisions. Their trained estate specialists are available to meet you by phone and provide you with the information to make the best decisions possible for you and your family. As a result of our partnership, Advisors with Purpose has made their services free and confidential to you alone, leaving you free from any obligation. It's never too early to plan for your future, so call them today. To speak to an estate specialist today, call 1-866-336-3315. That's 1-866-336-3315 or visit advisorswithpurpose.ca for your free and confidential consult.